Chapter Twenty Eight of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Twenty Eight. She hath a natural, wise sincerity, a simple truthfulness, and these have lent her a dignity as moveless as the centre. Lowell. Twilight of this same day found Gertrude and Emily seated at a window which commanded a delightful western view. Gertrude had been describing to her blind friend the gorgeous picture presented to her vision by the masses of rich and brilliantly painted cloud, and Emily, as she listened to the glowing description of nature, as she unfolded herself at an hour which they both preferred to all others, experienced a participation in Gertrude's enjoyment. The glory had now faded away, save a long strip of gold which skirted the horizon, and the stars as they came out, one by one, seemed to look in at the chamber window with a smile of recognition. In the parlor below there was company from the city, and the sound of mirth and laughter came up on the evening breeze. So mellowed, however, by distance, that it contrasted with the peace of the quiet room, without disturbing it. "'You had better go down, Gertrude,' said Emily. "'They appear to be enjoying themselves, and I love to hear your laugh mingling with the rest.' "'Oh, no, dear Emily,' said Gertrude. "'I prefer to stay with you. "'They are nearly all strangers to me.' "'As you please, my dear, "'but don't let me keep you from the young people.' "'You can never keep me with you, dear Emily, "'longer than I wish to stay. "'There is no society I love so well.' "'And so she stayed, "'and they resumed their pleasant conversation, "'which, though harmonious and calm, "'was not without its playfulness "'and occasional gleams of wit. "'They were interrupted by Katie.' whom Mrs. Graham sent to announce a new visitor, Mrs. Bruce, who had inquired for Emily. "'I suppose I must go down,' said Emily. "'You'll come too, Gertrude.' "'No, I believe not, unless she asked for me. Did she, Katie?' "'Mrs. Graham was only after mentioning Miss Emily,' said Katie. "'Then I will stay here,' said Gertrude, and Emily, finding it to be her wish, went without her. There was soon another loud ring at the doorbell. It seemed to be a reception evening— and this time Gertrude's presence was particularly requested to see Dr. and Mrs. Jeremy. When she entered the parlor, she found a great number of guests assembled, and every seat in the room occupied. As she came in alone, and unexpected by the greater part of the company, all eyes turned upon her. Contrary to the expectation of Belle and Kitty, who were watching her with curiosity, she manifested neither embarrassment nor awkwardness. But glancing leisurely at the various groups— until she recognized Mrs. Jeremy, crossed the large saloon with characteristic grace, and as much ease and self-possession as if she were the only person present. After greeting that lady with her usual warmth and cordiality, she turned to speak to the doctor, but he was sitting next to Fanny Bruce in the window-seat, and was half-concealed by the curtain. Before he could rise and come forward, Mrs. Bruce nodded pleasantly from the opposite corner, and Gertrude went to shake hands with her. Mr. Bruce, who formed one in a gay circle of young ladies and gentlemen collected in that part of the room, and who had been observing Gertrude's motions so attentively as to make no reply to a question put to him by Kitty Ray, now rose and offered his chair, saying, "'Miss Gertrude, do take this seat.' "'Thank you,' said Gertrude. "'But I see my friend the doctor on the other side of the room. He expects me to come and speak to him. So don't let me disturb you.' Dr. Jeremy now came halfway across the room to meet her and taking her by both hands, led her into the recess formed by the window, and placed her in his own seat, next to Fanny Bruce. 
To the astonishment of all who knew him, Ben Bruce brought his own chair and placed it for the doctor opposite to Gertrude. So much respect for age had not been anticipated from the modern-bred man of fashion. "'Is that a daughter of Mr. Graham?' asked a young lady of Belle Clinton, who sat next to her. "'No, indeed,' replied Belle. "'She is a person to whom Miss Graham gave an education, and now she lives here to read to her, and be sort of a companion. Her name is Flint.' "'What did you say that young lady's name was?' asked a dashing lieutenant, leaning forward and addressing Isabel. "'Miss Flint.' "'Flint, ah, she's a genteel-looking girl. How peculiarly she dresses her hair.' "'Very becoming, however, to that style of face,' remarked the young lady, who had first spoken. "'Don't you think so?' "'I don't know,' replied the lieutenant. "'Something becomes her. She makes a fine appearance.' "'Bruce,' said he, as Mr. Bruce returned." after his unusual effort at politeness. "'Who is that Miss Flint? I have been here two or three times, and I never saw her before.' "'Very likely,' said Mr. Bruce. "'She won't always show herself. Isn't she a fine-looking girl?' "'I haven't made up my mind yet. She's got a splendid figure, but who is she?' "'She's a sort of adopted daughter of Mr. Graham's, I believe. A protégé of Miss Emily's.' "'Ah, poor thing. An orphan?' "'Yes, I suppose so,' said Ben, biting his lip. "'Pity,' said the young man. "'Poor thing. But as you say, Ben, she's good-looking, particularly when she smiles. There is something very attractive about her face.' There certainly was to Ben, for a moment after, Kitty Ray missed him from the room, and immediately espied him standing on the piazza, and leaning through the open window to talk with Gertrude, Dr. Jeremy, and Fanny. The conversation soon became very lively. There seemed to be a war of wits going on. The doctor especially laughed very loud, and Gertrude and Fanny often joined in the merry peal. Kitty endured it as long as she could, and then ran boldly across to join the party, and hear what they were having so much fun about. But it was all an enigma to Kitty. Dr. Jeremy was talking with Mr. Bruce concerning something which had happened many years ago. There was a great deal about a fool's cap, with a long tassel, and taking afternoon naps in the grass. The doctor was making queer allusions to some old pear-tree, and traps set for thieves, and kept reminding Gertrude of circumstances which attended their first acquaintance with each other and with Mr. Bruce. Kitty was beginning to feel that, as she was uninitiated in all they were talking about, she had placed herself in the position of an intruder, and was thereupon looking a little embarrassed and ill at ease. When Gertrude touched her arm, and kindly making room for her next to herself, motioned to her to sit down, saying as she did so, "'Dr. Jeremy is speaking of the time when he, or he and I, as he chooses to have it, went fruit-stealing in Mrs. Bruce's orchard, and were unexpectedly discovered by Mr. Bruce.' "'You mean, my dear,' interrupted the doctor, "'that Mr. Bruce was discovered by us. Why, it's my opinion he would have slept until this time if I hadn't given him such a thorough waking up.' "'My first acquaintance with you was certainly the greatest awakening of my life,' said Ben, speaking as if to the doctor, but looking meaningly at Gertrude. "'That was not the only nap it cost me. How sorry I am, Miss Gertrude, that you've given up working in the garden, as you used to. Pray, how does it happen?' "'Mrs. Graham has had it remodeled,' replied Gertrude. "'And the new gardener neither needs nor desires my services.' He has his own plans, and it is not well to interfere with the professor of an art. I should be sure to do mischief. I doubt whether his success compares with yours, said Ben. 
I do not see anything like the same quantity of flowers in the room that you used to have. I don't think, said Gertrude, that he is as fond of cutting them as I was. I did not care so much for the appearance of the garden as for having plenty of flowers in the house, but with him it is the reverse. Kitty now addressed some remark to Mr. Bruce on the subject of gardening, and Gertrude, turning to Dr. Jeremy, continued in earnest conversation with him, until Mrs. Jeremy rose to go. When approaching the window, she said, Dr. Jerry, have you given Gertrude her letter? Goodness me! exclaimed the doctor. I came near forgetting it. Then, feeling in his pocket, he drew forth an evidently foreign document, the envelope literally covered with various colored post office stamps. See here, Gertie, genuine Calcutta, no mistake. Gertrude took the letter, and as she thanked the doctor, her countenance expressed pleasure at receiving it. A pleasure, however, somewhat tempered by sadness. For she had heard from Willie but once since he learned the news of his mother's death, and that letter had been such an outpouring of his vehement grief that the sight of his handwriting almost pained her, as she anticipated something like a repetition of the outburst. Mr. Bruce, who kept his eyes upon her, and half expected to see her color change, and look disconcerted, on the letter being handed to her in the presence of so many witnesses, was reassured by the composure with which she took it, and held it openly in her hand while she bade the doctor and his wife good evening. She followed them to the door, and was then retreating to her own apartment, when she was met at the foot of the stairs by Mr. Bruce, who had noticed the movement. And now entered from the piazza in time to arrest her steps, and ask if her letter was of such importance that she must deny the company the pleasure of her society in order to study its contents. It is from a friend of whose welfare I am anxious to hear, said Gertrude gravely. Please excuse me to your mother if she inquires for me, and as the rest of the guests are strangers, I shall not be missed by them. Oh, Miss Gertrude, said Mr. Bruce, it's no use coming here to see you. You are so frequently invisible. What part of the day is one most likely to find you disengaged? Hardly any part, said Gertrude. I am always a very busy character. But good night, Mr. Bruce. Don't let me detain you from the other young ladies. And Gertrude ran upstairs, leaving Mr. Bruce uncertain whether to be vexed with himself or her. Contrary to Gertie's expectations, her letter from William Sullivan proved very soothing to the grief she had felt on his account. His spirit had been so weighed down and crushed by the intelligence of the death of his grandfather, and finally of his second and still greater loss, that his first communication to Gertrude had alarmed her. From the discouraged, disheartened tone in which it was written, she had feared lest his Christian fortitude would give way to the force of this double affliction. She was, therefore, much relieved to find that he now wrote in a calmer strain. That he had taken to heart his mother's last entreaty and prayer for a submissive disposition on his part, and that, although deeply afflicted, he was schooling himself to patience and resignation. But he did not in this letter dwell long upon his own sufferings under bereavement. The three closely written pages were almost wholly devoted to fervent and earnest expressions of gratitude to Gertrude for the act of kindness and love which had cheered and comforted the last days of his much regretted friends. He prayed that heaven would bless her, and rewarded her with disinterested and self-denying efforts, and closed with saying, "You are all there is left to me, Gertrude. If I loved you before, my heart is now bound to you by ties stronger than those of earth. My hopes, my labors, my prayers are all for you. God grant we may some day meet again." 
For an hour after she had finished reading, Gertrude sat lost in meditation. Her thoughts went back to her home at Uncle True's, and the days when she and Willie passed so many happy hours in close companionship, little dreaming of the long separation so soon to ensue. She rehearsed in her mind all the succeeding events which had brought her into her present position, and was only startled at last from the reverie she was indulging in by the voices of Mrs. Graham's visitors, who were now taking leave. Mrs. Bruce and her son lingered a little, until the carriages had driven off with those of the guests who were to return to the city, and as they were making their farewells on the doorstep, directly beneath Gertrude's window, she heard Mrs. Graham say, "'Remember, Mr. Bruce, we dine at two, and Miss Fanny, we shall hope to see you also. I presume you will join the walking party.' This, then, was an arrangement which was to bring Mr. Bruce there to dinner, at no very distant period and Gertrude's reflections, forsaking the past, began to center upon the present. Mr. Bruce's attentions to her had that day been marked, and the professions of admiration he had contrived to whisper in her ear had been still more so. Both these attentions and this admiration were unsought and undesired. Neither were they in any degree flattering to the high-minded girl, who was superior to coquetry, and whose self-respect was even wounded by the confident and assured manner in which Mr. Bruce made his advances. As a youth of seventeen, she had marked him as indolent and ill-bred. Her sense of justice, however, would have obliterated this recollection, had his character and manners appeared changed on the renewal of their acquaintance some years after. This was not the case, however, for the outward polish, bestowed by fashion and familiarity with society, could not cloud Gertrude's discernment, and she quickly perceived that his old characteristics still remained, heightened and rendered more glaring by an ill-concealed vanity. As a boy, he had stared from Gertrude from impudence, and inquired her name out of idle curiosity. As a youthful coxcomb, he had resolved to flirt with her, because his time hung heavy on his hands, and he could think of nothing better to do. But to his surprise, he found the country girl, for such he considered her, never having seen her elsewhere, was quite insensible to the flattery and notice which many a city belle had coveted, appeared wholly indifferent to his admiration, and that when he tried raillery he usually proved the disconcerted party. If he sought her, as he was frequently in the habit of doing, when she was at work among the flowers, he found it impossible to distract her attention from her labors, or detain her after they were completed." If he joined her in her walks, and with his wonted self-conceit, made her aware of the honor lie supposed himself concerning, she either maintained a dignity which warded off his fulsome adulation, or, if he ventured to make her the object of direct compliment, received it as a jest, and retorted with a playfulness and wit, which often left the opaque wits of poor Ben in some doubt whether he had not been making himself ridiculous and this, not because Gertrude was willing to wound the feelings of one who was disposed to admire her, but because she perceived that he was far from being sincere, and she had an honorable pride which would not endure to be trifled with. It was something new to Mr. Bruce to find any lady thus indifferent to his merits, and proved such an awakening to his ambition, that he resolved, if possible, to recommend himself to Gertrude, and consequently improved every opportunity of gaining admittance to her society. While laboring, however, to inspire her with a due appreciation of himself, he fell into his own snare, for though he failed in awakening Gertrude's interest, he could not be equally insensible to her attractions, 
even the comparatively dull intellect of Ben Bruce was capable of measuring her vast superiority to most girls of her age, and her vivacious originality was a contrast to the insipidity of fashionable life, which at length completely charmed him. His earnestness and perseverance began to annoy the object of his admiration before she left Mr. Graham's in the autumn, and she was glad soon after to hear that he had accompanied his mother to Washington, as it ensured her against meeting him again for months to come. Mr. Bruce regretted losing sight of Gertrude, but amid the gaiety and dissipation of southern cities, contrived to waste his time with tolerable satisfaction. He was reminded of her again on meeting the Graham party at New Orleans, and it is some credit to his understanding to say that in the comparison which he constantly drew between her and the vain daughters of fashion, she stood higher than ever in his estimation. He did not hesitate to tell her so, on the morning already mentioned, when with evident satisfaction he had recognized and joined her, and the increased devotion of his words and manner, which now took a tone of truth in which they had before been wanting, alarmed Gertrude, and led to a serious resolve on her part to avoid him on all possible occasions. It will soon be seen how difficult she found it to carry out this resolution. On the day succeeding the one of which we have been speaking, Mr. Graham returned from the city about noon, and joining the young ladies in the entry, unfolded his newspaper, and handing it to Kitty, asked her to read the news. "'What shall I read?' said Katie, taking the paper rather unwillingly. "'The leading article, if you please.' Kitty turned the paper inside and out, looked hastily up and down its pages, and then declared her inability to find it. Mr. Graham stared at her in astonishment, then pointed in silence to the wished-for paragraph. She began, but had scarcely read a sentence, before Mr. Graham stopped her, saying impatiently, "'Don't read so fast. I can't hear a single word.' She now fell into the other extreme, and drawled so intolerably that her auditor interrupted her again, and bade her give the paper to her cousin. Bell took it from the pouting kitty, and finished the article, not, however, without being once or twice compelled to go back and read more intelligibly. "'Do you wish to hear anything more, sir?' asked she. "'Yes. Won't you turn to the ship news, and read me the list by the steamer?' Bell, more fortunate than Kitty, found the place, and commenced. At Canton, April 30th, ship Anne Maria, Ray, D-I-S-C-G. What does that mean? Discharging, of course. Go on. S-L-D-A-B-T, 13th, spelt Bell, looking dreadfully puzzled all the while. Stupid, muttered Mr. Graham, almost snatching the paper out of her hands, not knowing how to read ship news. Where's Gertrude? Where's Gertrude Flint? She's the only girl I ever saw that did know anything. Won't you speak to her, Kitty? Kitty went, though rather reluctantly, to call Gertrude, and told her for what she was wanted. Gertrude was astonished. Since the day when she had persisted in leaving his house, Mr. Graham had never asked her to read to him. But obedient to the summons, she presented herself, and taking the seat which Bell had vacated near the door, commenced with the ship news, and without asking any questions, turned to various items of intelligence, taking them in the order which she knew Mr. Graham preferred. The old gentleman, leaning back in his easy chair, and resting his gouty foot upon an ottoman opposite to him, looked amazingly contented and satisfied. And when Bell and Kitty had gone off to their room, he remarked, "'This seems like old times, doesn't it, Gertrude?' He now closed his eyes, and Gertrude was soon made aware, by his deep breathing, that he had fallen asleep. 
Seeing that, as he sat, it would be impossible for her to pass without waking him, she laid down the paper, and was preparing to draw some work from her pocket, for Gertrude seldom spent her time in idleness, when she observed a shadow in the doorway, and looking up, saw the very person whom she had yesterday resolved to avoid. Mr. Bruce was staring in her face, with an indolent air of ease and confidence, which she always found very offensive. He had in one hand a bunch of roses, which he held up to her admiring gaze. "'Very beautiful,' said Gertrude, as she glanced at the little branches, covered with a luxurious growth of moss rosebuds, both pink and white. She spoke in a low voice, fearing to awaken Mr. Graham. Mr. Bruce, therefore, softening his to a whisper, remarked, as he dangled them above her head, "'I thought they were very pretty when I gathered them, but they suffer from the comparison, Miss Gertrude.' and he gave a meaning look at the roses in her cheeks. Gertrude, to whom this was a stale compliment, coming from Mr. Bruce, took no notice of it, but rising, advanced to make her exit by the front door, saying, "'I will go across the piazza, Mr. Bruce, and send the lady's word that you are here.' "'Oh, pray don't,' said he, putting himself in her way. "'It would be cruel. I haven't the slightest wish to see them.' He so effectually prevented her that she was unwillingly compelled to retreat from the door and resume her seat. As she did so, she took her work from her pocket, her countenance in the meantime expressing vexation. Mr. Bruce looked his triumph, and took advantage of it. "'Miss Gertrude,' said he, "'will you oblige me by wearing these flowers in your hair to-day?' "'I do not wear gay flowers,' replied Gertrude, without lifting her eyes from the piece of muslin on which she was employed." Supposing this to be on account of her mourning, for she wore a plain black dress, he selected the white buds from the rest, and presenting them to her, begged that, for his sake, she would display them in contrast with her dark silken braids. "'I am much obliged to you,' said Gertrude. "'I never saw more beautiful roses, but I am not accustomed to be so much dressed, and believe you must excuse me.' "'Then you won't take my flowers?' "'Certainly I will, with pleasure,' said she, rising, "'if you will let me get a glass of water, "'and place them in the parlour, where we can all enjoy them.' "'I did not cut my flowers, and bring them here, "'for the benefit of the whole household,' said Ben, "'in a half-offended tone. "'If you won't wear them, Miss Gertrude, "'I will offer them to somebody that will.' "'This, he thought, would alarm her, "'for his vanity was such that he attributed her behaviour "'wholly to coquetry, and as instances of this sort "'had always served to enhance his admiration.' he believed that they were intended to produce that effect. "'I will punish her,' thought he, as he tied the roses together again, and arranged them for presentation to Kitty, whom he knew would be flattered to receive them. "'Where's Fanny to-day?' asked Gertrude, anxious to divert the conversation. "'I don't know,' answered Ben, with a manner which implied that he had no idea of talking about Fanny. A short silence ensued, during which he gazed idly at Gertrude's fingers, as she sat sewing. "'How attentive you are to your work,' said he at last. "'Your eyes seemed nailed to it. "'I wish I were as attractive as that piece of muslin.' "'I wish you were as inoffensive,' thought Gertrude. "'I do not think you take much pains to entertain me,' added he, "'when I've come here on purpose to see you.' "'I thought you came by Mrs. Graham's invitation,' said Gertrude. "'And didn't I have to court Kitty for an hour in order to get it?' "'If you obtained it by artifice,' said Gertrude, smiling, "'you do not deserve to be entertained.' "'It is much easier to please Kitty than you,' remarked Ben. "'Kitty is very amiable and pleasant,' said Gertrude. "'Yes, but I'd give more for one smile from you than—' Gertrude now interrupted him with, "'Ah, here is an old friend coming to see us. Please let me pass, Mr. Bruce.' 
The gate at the end of the yard swung to as she spoke, and Ben, looking in that direction, beheld approaching the person whom Gertrude seemed desirous to go and meet. "'Don't be in such a hurry to leave me,' said Ben. "'That little crone, whose coming seems to give you so much satisfaction, can't get here this half-hour, at the rate she is travelling. "'She is an old friend,' replied Gertrude. "'I must go and welcome her.' Her countenance expressed so much earnestness that Mr. Bruce was ashamed to persist in his incivility, and rising, permitted her to pass. Miss Patty Pace, for she it was who was toiling up the yard, seemed overjoyed at seeing Gertrude, and the moment she recognized her, commenced waving, in a theatrical manner, a huge feather fan, her favorite mode of salutation. As she drew near, Miss Patty took her by both hands, and stood talking with her some minutes, before they proceeded together up the yard. They entered the house at the side door, and Ben, being thus disappointed of Gertrude's return, sallied out into the garden, in hopes to attract the notice of Kitty. Ben Bruce had such confidence in the power of wealth and high station in fashionable life, that it never occurred to him to doubt that Gertrude would gladly accept his hand and fortune, if it were placed at her disposal. No degree of coldness, or even neglect on her part, would have induced him to believe that an orphan girl, without a cent in the world, would forego such an opportunity to establish herself. Many a prudent and worldly-wise mother had sought his acquaintance. Many a young lady, even among those who possess property and rank of their own, had received his attention with favor, and believing as he did, that he had money enough to purchase for a wife any woman whom he chose to select, he would have laughed at the idea that Gertrude would presume to hold herself higher than the rest. He had not made his mind up to such an important step, however, as the deliberate surrender of the many advantages of which he was the fortunate possessor. He had merely determined to win Gertrude's good opinion and affection. And although more interested in her than he was aware of himself, he at present made that his ultimate object. He felt conscious that as yet she had given no evidence of his success, and having resolved to resort to some new means of winning her, he, with a too common selfishness and baseness, fixed upon a method which was calculated, if successful, to end in the mortification, if not the unhappiness, of a third party. He intended, by marked devotion to Kitty Ray, to excite the jealousy of Gertrude, and it was with the view to furthering his intentions that he walked in the garden, hoping to attract her observation. Oh, it was a shameful scheme, for Kitty liked him already. She was a warm-hearted girl, a credulous one, too, and likely to become a ready victim to his duplicity. End of chapter 28